Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. Sometimes just like Sunday, I don't want worship to end. I just want to keep going. Exodus chapter 26 tonight, as we continue our study in the book of Exodus, and we're in the last section of the book looking at the tabernacle. And I want to remind you of the emphasis God places on the tabernacle, the symbol of his presence amongst his people. Remember, in the book of Exodus, he only spends two chapters on the deliverance of his people from Egypt. Something when we think about Exodus and the story of Moses, we think that's what the main story is. And then he only spends half of a chapter on the Ten Commandments, something else that is very much emphasized. But he spends 13 chapters on the tabernacle, almost one-third of the book, because it is so significant to God, this, this meeting place where God will meet with his people as he condescends and as he comes in humility and comes down to dwell and take up residence with his people. Before we get into the further descriptions of the tabernacle, I want you to think of this as God's house. And just like our house, everything about our house is a reflection of us. Everything in your house, all of the furnishings, the colors that you have chosen to paint your house inside and out, the decorations in your house, all of that is a reflection of you. It says something about who you are, your likes and all of that. Think about that when you come to the tabernacle. Everything about the tabernacle, inside and out, all of the furnishings, all of the colors, everything says something about our God. In fact, how appropriate that Nicole chose the song So Will I as one of the songs that we sang tonight because as she mentioned, that song is, has a lot of detail in it and it's all about looking around at creation and realizing that God doesn't do anything just because. He always does everything with purpose. And so if we would just take time to sort of examine and consider creation, we would learn something about our God because he's reflected in everything that he created. Everything that he created says something about him. Every human being, every star in the sky, that's what the song says. Well, I want you to bring that same thought into the study of the tabernacle. Everything about this says something to us. We can learn something about our God. The tabernacle is the Old Testament equivalent of Emmanuel, God with us. That's what the tabernacle was symbolic of. God was going to dwell and take up residence amongst his people. And we've seen this concept, as I shared last week, a couple verses. John 1:14, the word became flesh 
and took up residence, dwelt among us. Revelation chapter 21. Look, the residence of God is with men, and he will be their God, and they will be his people, as John sees the new heaven and the new earth. So from beginning to end, Old Testament, the coming of Christ, all the way to the new heaven and the new earth, it has always been God's desire to come down and dwell and take up residence amongst his people. So notice, beginning in verse 1, let's learn some things about our God as we look at the tabernacle. The tabernacle itself you are to make with ten curtains of fine twisted linen and blue and purple and scarlet. You are to make them with cherubim that are the work of an artistic designer. Couple things. First of all, if you go to the phrase fine twisted linen, this speaks about the very best. Fine twisted linen was Top-notch, top quality, the very finest, if you will, the very best. And then look at the colors, the beauty that was in the tabernacle, blues and purples and scarlets. God is a God of color. He's a God of creativity. And then he instructs them that they are literally to stitch in to these curtains, the image of cherubim. Now, obviously, they didn't know any more than we know what the cherubim look like. So God would have had to reveal to those that were making the curtains what these cherubim looked like. Why cherubim? Because they are throughout the Bible one of the orders of angelic creatures that God made. And they are always associated with God's throne and God's presence. In a sense, they are sort of guardians, if you will, of the presence of God. In fact, if you go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, you actually see them introduced before any of the other angelic beings. They are the ones specifically that God mentions whenever he removes Adam and Eve out of the garden and he sends angels back to guard the way into the garden so that Adam and Eve can't go back into the garden eat from the tree of life, and live in that sinful condition for all of eternity. And who did he send to guard the way back into the Garden of Eden? It was cherubim, cherubim. And so cherubim play a very significant role, especially when it comes, again, to God's throne and God's presence. And notice God says they are to be the work of an artistic designer. Now, we're going to get into this a little bit more, but one of the things that we learn about God, and the reason I want to touch on it is because much of what you see of how God operates with the tabernacle can parallel the way God builds his church today. What I mean by that is that God has a role or a part for every person to play whether it's to minister in the tabernacle 
or whether it's to be one of those that actually is part of the design of the tabernacle, building certain furnishings, uh, stitching certain things. And he gave each of these people the abilities that they have to be able to do it. God will make sure in every situation that he has the right people in the right place to do the ministry that he wants done. And I love the fact that he talks about using an artistic designer. This phrase speaks to me of three things. Creativity, thoughtfulness, and skill. I want you to think about that. God is always looking for those to use their creative skills, but also those who are willing to put thought into it. God didn't want the people that were making these curtains to not give it some thought and planning, if you will, to think through it. He would give them, in a sense, the template, but he wanted also them to sort of put their own thought into it. it was, it's very similar to the way God wrote the word, that God oversaw the writing of his word so that every word in here is infallible and authoritative. It is the word of God. But he used the personalities of the writers of the Bible and so that they put their own personalities into the writing. God is doing the same thing with the creation of the tabernacle. God does the same thing here today. Amen. He calls people to a ministry or to a service to play a part in the church. He leads them, but he also wants them to put, in a sense, their own personality, if you will, into it. Because guess what? He's the one that put the personality into them. It's still all him. And he wants us to bring that diversity into the body. He wants us to bring only what we can bring into the creation of things, the design of things. And so I want some of you to be stirred throughout our study of the tabernacle to tap into your creative side. Because guess what? Some of you out there and some of you, are, you don't think you're very creative. I want to I want to argue against that. You were created in the image of God. Amen. God is a creator. God is nothing but creativity. So don't ever think, no matter how you're wired and all of that, and this, there's some kind of creativity inside of you. Amen. Let that creativity come out, and then thoughtfulness. Don't be in such a hurry to get things done, especially the things of God. Sometimes it takes way longer than you and I want it to, but that's the process of God. He wants us sometimes to take pains with things and to be thoughtful and take much consideration. I will tell you, that's true a lot as I minister here. I want God to give me the plan for the messages way earlier than many times he shows up. <laughs> but God gets there. 
because God's faithful. He just wants to see, am I willing to maybe take a little bit more thought and a little bit more planning and a little bit more process and to stick with this passage or these verses a little while longer. And whatever you, you've been called to, God may want to do the same thing with you. Creative, thoughtful, and then skillful. These people need, they needed mad skills to do this kind of stuff. But God's the one that put those skills and those abilities and those talents into those people, you see. And he wants us to tap into those things and use them in his house for his glory. Well, let's move on, or we won't get past verse 1. <laughs> the length of each curtain is to be 42 feet, not 41 feet 11 inches, not 42 feet 1 inch, no, 42 feet. God is a God of exactness and precision. And the width of each curtain is to be six feet, the same size for each of the curtains. This also reminds us, as we're going to see as we go down through, that he's a God of symmetry, harmony, and balance. You see the phrase, the same size, or notice in verse 4, in the same way you are to make loops in the outer edge and the end of the curtain of the second set. Symmetry, Harmony, balance throughout the tabernacle. That's very important to God. Five curtains, verse 3, are to be joined one to the other, and other five curtains are to be joined one to the other. You are to make loops of the blue material along the edge of the end curtain in one set, and in the same way, you are to make loops in the outer edge of the end curtain in the second set. Notice God is giving them all the day. They don't have to come up with the blueprint. They just have to follow God's blueprint. But again, using again their own talents, their own abilities, their own skills, giving it thought, using their own creative juices, and putting their own sort of personality into it as they do it. He's giving them a lot of instruction, but he's going to leave some things open for them as well to add their own sort of flavor, if you will, to it. Verse 6, here's something very important. You are to make 50 gold clasps and join the curtains together with the clasp so that the tabernacle is a unit. Literally in the Hebrew is one. God wanted the tabernacle to be a cohesive unit. Very, again, parallel to the church. What does Paul say about the church? The church is what? Many members, but we are to be unified as one. Just like the Trinity. Three distinct persons, one God. God wants that reflected in everything that he does. Lots of diversity, loves diversity, but diversity better be aligned as one cohesive unit so that we're all moving in the same direction. God wanted that oneness as well as that diversity to be reflected in the tabernacle. Not uniformity, unity. Unity. Verse 7, you are to make curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. Why? 
Goat's hair was weather-resistant material. It would keep out the sun and the heat so that the tabernacle would be cool for the priests and the worshipers to be able to be there in. God had every contingency thought of, every detail, you see. And it is a reminder to us that our God is our refuge. When they would be in his presence, they would be cooled from the heat and protected from the sun. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but because it's in the same vein, I want you to go over to verse 14. You are to make a covering for the tent out of ram skins, dyed red, and over that covering of fine leather. Why ram skins? Because those skins were particularly useful in preventing the intrusion of moisture, keeping the rain or any kind of moisture out of the tabernacle proper. Again, God is saying, I'm your refuge. When you come into me, I will protect you from the elements. I will keep those things that are harmful away from you. God, in providing this tabernacle and in having it built a certain way with certain kinds of materials and whatever, is saying something about himself to his people, you see. Again, nothing is by chance, nothing is wasted. God has every contingency planned for. Obviously, in a desert climate like here, although I can't say that lately, doesn't rain very much. But when it would rain, God had a plan to keep that moisture out of the tabernacle. An amazing, amazing God. Again, notice then back to verse 8. The length of each curtain is to be 45 feet and the width of each curtain is to be 6 feet. Again here, notice the same size for the 11 curtains. Symmetry, harmony, (laughs) balance. I keep coming back to that because you see that phrase throughout the construction and design of the tabernacle. Same size, same way. God wanted it to be a reflection of him, you see. Now, we could go down through, again, all of the different, you know, constructions of the curtains from verse 9 all the way through verse 13. I'm not going to do that. You can read that if you like. But again, what do we see? We see beauty. We see creativity. We see color. But we see also practicality, you see. We see God designing it a certain way, to face a certain way, to have certain things in it, so that he even could provide for the comfort of the people who were there to either serve him or who were there to worship him. Notice the same thing beginning in verse 15 then about the frames. He's talked a lot about the the curtains here. What about the frames of the tabernacle proper? Well, again, this was to be a sacred space where God's presence dwelt. And notice then, it was to be made of acacia wood. It would be sturdy, it would be portable, it would be beautiful, and it would be costly. Again, I'm not going to take the time to go down through verse 15 all the way through verse 30, 
but you will see each of those things somewhere emphasized in that passage of Scripture. Sturdy, stable. It would be a solid structure. That says something about our God. Portable. Again, as I shared last week, it wasn't just going to be there in one place. They were going to have to take it all down, pack it up, and move it for 40 years as they wandered around. It had to be portable because God would always be with his people. He was never not with his people. That says something about our God. Beautiful. This thing was beautiful. As we're going to see next week and the week after that, the, the clothing of the priests, unbelievably beautiful. Why? Because our God is beautiful. He's a beautiful God. And he makes beautiful things. Again, we should look at creation and see how beautiful our God is. All the different colors that he's used in his creation. From the blue of the ocean and the blue of the sky to the grass that is green and all these different things. And then you look at the animal kingdom and you see all the different colors that God used in making all of these animals and different sizes and different shapes, just like God made you and I. It shows how creative and how beautiful God is and that he has such an attention to detail. I loved Nicole's prayer tonight because think it was so timely. I know especially that there are some of you out there tonight and some of you who are watching who are going through real trials right now. And it's always good to be reminded that God's got us and that we're in his very capable hands and that he knows every detail. As she said, every molecule, every hair on our head, everything. That's one of the things that the tabernacle reveals about God. He's a God that goes down to the minutest detail of this structure. There is nothing that any detail God left go from this. But then I also want to get to costly. Notice in verse 29, gold, gold, gold. You are to overlay the frames with gold, Make their rings of gold. You are to overlay the bars with gold. And we saw last week, the lampstand was to be made from 75 pounds of gold. There was a lot of gold in God's house. The very best, the most beautiful, the most costly. Why? Because God wanted to remind his people that he is a holy, special God. In fact, very interesting, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but what you will see if you study the tabernacle and the elements and the materials of the tabernacle is that the closer you got to the holy of holies, where God's presence literally dwelt, the more costly the materials were. As you moved away from the holy of holies, they became less costly. As you moved away from God, things became more ordinary, if you were. And you will see that reflected in the tabernacle. God wants his people to understand that he is set apart, that he is sacred, that he is wholly other. 
and that no one is more precious or a greater treasure than him and the materials that would surround where his presence would remain and would come and dwell was to be reflective of the treasure and how precious and how priceless he, our God, is. He doesn't need the gold. God's not impressed with the gold, but God wanted to use the gold and these other materials again to speak to his people about himself and to show something of himself as a reflection of him to the people. Verse 30, follow again God's blueprint. You are to set up the tabernacle according to the plan that you were shown on the mountain. Again, just a good reminder. God says, I'm going to give you the blueprint. Just follow it. Just follow it every step of the way and you won't go wrong. But don't deviate from it. I'm a God of precision. I'm a God of exactness. And, and I, I need you to do this precisely. Let's go back again to the Old Testament. Even further back, I should say, to the Old Testament, to the book of Genesis. God revealed to both Abel and Cain what kind of sacrifice would be acceptable and pleasing to him. Abel, listen. Cain did his own thing. I'll just bring whatever I want to bring. And God rejected it. God wants to be worshipped in a certain way. And God reveals to us how, why, where, and when he wants to be worshipped. And unless you and I worship him in the way he wants to be worshipped, then our worship is in vain. Which is why Jesus said, we must worship God in spirit and in truth. If we do not worship God that way, then all of our worship, no matter how enthusiastic or how sincere or all of that is, it is in vain unless we worship God God's way. Verse 31. Here's where we begin to even see that holy otherness of God come into play. You are to make a special curtain. Again, the beauty blues, purples, and scarlet yarn. And again, the best, fine, twisted linen. It is to be made with cherubim again, the work of an artistic designer. Again, same as it was earlier. Skillful, thoughtful, creative. You're to hang it with gold hooks on four posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold set in four silver bases. Gold and silver, the beauty of this place, would have been unbelievable. You are to hang this curtain under the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the curtain. The curtain will make a division, a separation to distinguish for you between the holy place and the most holy place where God dwelt. See, there was a separation. There was a curtain there. And we're going to talk more about that in just a minute. The only Furnishing the only sole piece of furniture in the most holy place, the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 34, you are to put the atonement lid on the Ark of the Testimony in the most holy place. So think about that too. Going back to even a little bit last week, the only piece of furniture in the most holy place where God's presence was dwelling was the Ark of the Covenant. There was no light 
in there. It was dark. When you came out of the most holy place, in the holy place that we talked about last week, there were two pieces of furniture. There was the table on which was the bread of presence and there was the lampstand. So there was light in the holy place, but no light in the most holy place. God was saying, I dwell in darkness, in mystery here. I cannot reveal all that I am to you at this point. There's always going to be that sort of separation, if you will, between me and mankind. But then notice this. Verse 35, you were to put the table outside the curtain, the lampstand on the south side, as we just talked about, opposite the table. You're to place these on the table on the north side. You are to make a hanging for the entrance of the tent of blue, purple, and scarlet. Again, those same three colors with fine twi twined linen, the work of an embroiderer. Now, here's somebody else. Not an artistic designer, now an embroiderer, someone who does needlework, someone who's a weaver, if you will. It is a reminder, again, God will have the right people who has the right skills to do it. And if God wants something done, he will have put it into his people, the enablement and the ability to be able to do it. All God asks is that we all do our part, that we all do what God has given us the ability and the skill and the desire and the passion to do, but to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We've also got to fit in with everything else and everyone else. You are to make for the hanging five posts of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and their hooks will be gold. And you are then to cast five bronze bases for them. Now, a couple things, and then I'll wrap this up tonight. There was only one entrance into the tabernacle. Only one way in. Doesn't that remind you of something? There's only one way to God the Father today, right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to him except by me. One entrance, one way. There weren't multiple ways into the tabernacle. There was one entrance in. And if you notice the design and the beauty of even once you would step in to that entrance, you would be awestruck immediately that this was a special place. That this was a sacred place. This was different from any home that they had ever been in before. There, there would be a sense of awe and wonder that they were stepping into a totally different environment than they had ever stepped into before. And in a sense, God wants us to have that same sort of appreciation and feeling when we step into his house today, that this is a special place because God is here. And this is where God has chosen to meet with his people. And once we step into this place, there should be something that comes over us like, wow, God's here. And this is like no other place because God has set this place apart to be the designated space where he meets with his people. Now, in closing tonight, 
I want to share what, to me, is the most impactful thing I could have shared all night. And that is, I want us, hopefully, to leave here tonight with such a, maybe even, renewed sense of appreciation for who we are through Jesus Christ and the privilege and the opportunity that we have that they didn't have back then. Let's be reminded, in the construction of the tabernacle, we're going to get to this next week, the worshipers could assemble outside the tabernacle. They could be surrounding it. But it wasn't big enough for, it wasn't like churches today where we try to make room for everybody to come inside. No, no, no. The tabernacle was only 45 feet by 15 feet. Very small for such a big God, right? Not a big place. 45 feet by 15 feet. That was the length and width of the tabernacle. So the worshipers would surround the tabernacle. There would be other priests that were allowed into the courtyard where they would make the sacrifices on the brazen altar that we're going to talk about in a little while, a couple weeks. And there were other things that the priests could do, but only, only the high priest of Israel was allowed by God to enter the most holy place. And he was only allowed to enter once a year on the Day of Atonement. Only the high priest and only could enter one time a year on the Day of Atonement into the very presence of God. And you and I might think, whoa, high priest, that's a pretty big deal, right? Until we realize when we compare our privilege to the privilege of the high priest, you and I, because of Jesus Christ, can enter the most holy place anytime we want. Not just once a year. Because now we, through Christ, are the priests of God. And you think about that. All the Israelites, they could never do they, what we do and take for granted maybe much of the time. That we can literally interact with this God and we can interact with him any time of day, any day of the week, whenever we want to, we have access into the most holy place through the blood of Jesus Christ. They never had that. They never had that. Even the high priest didn't have the privilege and the opportunity that you and I have all the time. So I hope tonight that we will leave here with such a sense of awe and wonder of all that we are and all that we have through our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we get to do what all those Israelites for thousands of years, never had the privilege or opportunity to do, and we get to do it all the time. So maybe the next time we come into the presence of God, maybe our heart will be just a little bit more full of gratitude and thankfulness and appreciation 
for the opportunity and privilege we have to enter in to the most holy place. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight that you give us such an amazing opportunity. God, I hope it's one that we never take for granted, that we never treat flippantly. Because God, every time we come into your presence, it's a privilege that most people throughout history up until the time of Christ never had the opportunity to do. They could not enter your presence. There was a separation there. And it was only until your son cried out, it is finished on the cross, that that veil of the temple very intentionally and strategically was torn not from the bottom up, but from the top down, showing us and signifying that the way into the most holy place was now open only because God provided the way and opened it up from the top to the bottom. God, may we never take for granted that that curtain, that veil into your presence has been removed. And Lord, we have access to you all the time. God, may we seize that opportunity to not only come into your presence every so often, but Lord, to live in your presence, to, to pursue your presence, to pursue you, God, to want to sit at your feet, God, and just soak up your presence more than anyone or anything else. And Lord, we realize that we have responsibilities. Lord, you understand that. But, Lord, in, in a way that, Lord, only you can enable us to do, God, I still believe with all my heart that we can carry out all of our earthly responsibilities, God, and still live in your presence. I think that's what Paul was getting at when he said to the Thessalonians that we can pray without ceasing that we can literally be in constant communion and fellowship and communication with our God at all times throughout our day. And God, I pray that that would be the case, that God, you would create in us such a, such a desire to take the opportunity we have to, in a sense, be our own high priest and enter your presence every day of our lives. God, would you continue to teach us from the construction of the tabernacle, the symbol of your presence? Would you continue to show us, God, how it reflects you and who you are and all that you are so that, God, we might learn more about you and be more appreciative, Lord, of you in so many ways? God, even as we look at ourselves, may we realize we are all such a unique, special, one-of-a-kind creation of you. And that all that we are, how we look and all of that, Lord, inside and out, is a reflection of our God because we were made in your image. May we never forget that, God. Take us from this place and take us home safely tonight, Lord. Begin, Lord, to stir within us a sense of expectancy and anticipation to come back together and to meet with our God and to be with our brothers and sisters on Sunday. Amen. 
These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.